Thank you. Let's stand together, open our Bibles to Mark chapter 6 tonight. Mark 6. We'll read verse 1 and then jump to the end of the chapter. And he went out from thence and he came into his own country and his disciples follow him. I'm going to ask Brother Jamie to lead us in a word of prayer. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to focus on that phrase, the last phrase of the verse. His disciples follow him. Would you just meditate for a minute on, on those words? His disciples follow him. Who are you following tonight? I know you can go online and you can become a follower of someone. YouTube, Facebook, some kind of social media. That means... As soon as they post a message, your phone will ding or ring. And you can find out how important that message was for your life today. You can can more beans, learn how to sight in a gun, fix a car, learn about all the bad that's happening across our nation. As soon as that dings or rings, you just got to be attentive. You're a disciple. Some are disciples of Sean Hannity. Some are disciples of LeBron. Some are disciples of modern news outlets, talk show, talk radio show hosts. Isn't it incredible that we're willing to follow anyone except the Lord Jesus Christ? His disciples follow him. You know who we follow? People that we admire, people that we want to imitate. People that we love, people that we respect. You need to be careful because most of you here have someone or some ones that are following you. They're going to follow your spirit. Be careful, parents. You're helping those that follow you become a little you, a mini you. They're going to often have the same temperament, the same unfiltered mouth, the same issues of anger and... Yeah, they follow you. Believe it or not, they're going to walk like you and talk like you and sit like you and act like you because they're around you all the time. They're natural followers. And if we're following Christ, we're going to start to talk like him, sit like him, act like him, walk like him, think like him. And that's what his disciples were doing. They are following young people. Let me ask you this. Who are you following? Who are you trying to emulate? How, how did you learn to dress like that? What about the way you comb your hair and the shoes you buy? Who are you following? Better make sure that young people, you, if, if your eyes are fixed on someone, they're fixed on someone that's spiritual. Yes. But above all else, make sure that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the only way to do that is to get in this book and pay attention. And when a message comes from God and, and there's that ringing that takes place, you figure out what he's trying to say and make sure you implement exactly what he tells you to do. Now, jump down with me to chapter 8, verse 34. Young people, you'll figure this out real quick. Following Christ requires great commitment. The rest of the people you're following, it doesn't take the same commitment. You can tune them out, turn them off. But as far as the Lord Jesus Christ, you really don't have a choice here. You made your choice when you got saved. Look what it says, verse 34. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said to them, What? Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Not many people willing to deny themselves and take up a cross. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. Not a whole lot of our young people in, in church today following the Lord Jesus Christ. They're following all kinds of authors. They're following businessmen. They're following people in the church that make money, know how to make money. Young people, I think you ought to know how to make money, invest money, be wise with your money. But you should be following the Lord Jesus Christ, which means you have your financial priorities in order, which starts with honoring Him and understanding the only reason God gives you money at all is to, to use it for His honor, His glory, and for the furtherance of His kingdom. You've got to be careful, even in any bit of Baptist church, not everyone here is someone you want to follow. Go back with me to chapter 6. We like the promise, the blessing and power that comes through following him, look what it says in verse 7. He called it him the twelve, began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirit. Now we understand there were assigned gifts given specifically to these twelve men, the apostles. But as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit's indwelling, you thank God for his blessing and his power. But don't forget verse 8 accompanies verse 7. And he commanded them that they should take Nothing for their journey. That, Pastor, does that mean I need to sell all and follow him? No, that means that you need to hold on to everything he gives you just like this. Whatever he placed in your hand, don't ever close it. You say, God, you gave it. And God, anything you want to take at any time for your honor, your glory, I'm totally fine with that. Now, jump with me to verse 45. I said that leading into the story we're going to read in verse 45 because the disciples are doing exactly what they committed themselves to do. They're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you would think all of this would mean smooth selling. How many of you at some point in your Christian life have thought or prayed, God, <coughs> I thought following you would be a whole lot easier than what it's been this week <coughs> or this month or this year? Now look what it says, verse 45. Straightway, we talked this morning, spoke about the feeding of the 5,000. They've had a long and exhausting day. Remember, it's just before the feeding of the 5,000 that he promises them. As a matter of fact, he pushes them to go get rest. That rest is interrupted. Now, they've had some exhausting 48 hours, and it's only going to get more exhausting. Because straightway, this is God's will. They're following Christ's leadership, straightway he, Christ, constrained his disciples to get in the ship and to go to the other side. 
before into Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he sent them away, now they're following him. They're obeying his orders. They're doing exactly what they've been told to do. You would think this is simplistic. Half of these men are fishermen. They know this sea. Uh, This to them is second nature. They have no problem getting in the boat. They have no problem. This for them is going to be a leisure ride. The only problem is there's a storm that awaits them. Not to be confused with the previous storm that we mentioned in an earlier chapter. But here's what Christ does, verse 46. When he sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. He's going to do what he often does. He's going to separate himself. And if the Son of God needed time apart to pray, how much more do we? Now, the subject is not on prayer tonight, but we never, ever can emphasize enough the life of a Christian, the importance of prayer. So he departs to pray. Now, as they're following the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to understand. They found themselves alone. How many of you would like, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to always just see and feel his presence? I mean, it's... Oh, we have moments where it's more real than ever before. But there are also moments when you say, God, I know you're here. It just seems like it's me alone. He left them. And when the evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea... And he alone on the land. Now, if they're heading to Bethsaida, you're going to take about seven or eight miles across this body of water to get there. This, the scripture tells us they're in the midst of the sea, toiling and rowing, which means they're about halfway to their destination. They should have arrived a long time ago, but the, the winds were contrary to them. But Christ... Is about four miles away on land watching. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that, parents? Four miles away from the house and still watching your children? Maybe some of you wouldn't like to do that. But when the evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea. He alone on the land. And he did what? Verse 48. He saw them. Never took his eyes off them. Here's what I believe. I believe when he was praying he was praying for his disciples because he knew what was coming he knew the storm that they were about ready to face and i don't believe he was praying in a general way but in a very specific way for these 12 men and their faith in the midst of the storm i've done this for you all saw the storm coming said lord I'm going to keep an eye on them, but I hope you keep a really close eye on them. He saw them toiling. Now, imagine this. They've already exhausted. Anybody here ever rode in a boat? Not R-O-D-E, rode, as in riding along. But you actually, you had the oars and you were rowing. That, <clears throat> that takes some work. And how many like to do that through the night now? First of all, they're exhausted. This is nighttime. They're wanting to sleep. The, the fourth watch there, it's in between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. They have been toiling, and Christ has been watching them. How many of you ever found yourself in this spot? I'm following Christ, and I am toiling. That means my strength is almost exhausted. It's the nighttime. 
my shoulders are sore and I've been doing God's will and I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to jump ship and I'm not going to quit. I would just simply like to get to my destination before I pass out, die, or watch this boat sink. Anybody else been there? Only a couple. That's where they were at. Right in the middle of God's will, following the Lord Jesus Christ, they follow him. What did Christ tell them to do? Get in the boat, and then he told them it's their destination. I believe just about everyone sitting here on a Sunday night is following the Lord Jesus Christ, doing exactly what he has told you to do in the rearing of your children, in everything from your finances, your giving, your tithing, uh, your loving Christ and loving others. And yet there are many in this room that are toiling. You're toiling in your health. You've been rowing and the doctor keeps telling you bad news. You're toiling in your marriage, in your finances, with that child. You have been rowing and rowing and you say, this is way past midnight. You would think at some point I would be allowed to rest. Well, let me ask you this. Couldn't Christ have spoken the word? How many understand there are actually storm seasons? When we were in Mexico, we knew. Oh, February, January, February, March, April, May, it would be so dusty and so dry. And then uh, you, get, you get closer to June and it starts raining and it rains every afternoon all the way through. To, it, was, it was lovely. It was amazing. But during that time, hey, you'd have hurricane season the closer you get to September and they'd come in the Gulf and you'd have times when it would just pour water for four days. Those concrete houses can only absorb so much before it just starts coming into the house. You just brace yourself for the storm season. You have people down on the coast, they know. Every September, October, there's a chance. They're going to have their roofs damaged, trees blown over. It's storm season. You better help your kids understand in life there are storm seasons in life. You don't faint, you don't stop, you don't jump ship, you don't quit, you don't get discouraged, you don't think God's picking on you. You say, there are storm seasons. And I'm going to get through the season. And I'll make sure I stay in the ship. And I'm going to follow him. And because I follow him doesn't mean that there'll be no storms that ever hit. But they're, they're in the midst and the wind was contrary. They're following Christ, and the wind was contrary. Anybody ever found yourself there? The winds are contrary? That doesn't mean that you're outside of God's will. That doesn't mean you need to turn around and go back. They're, they're right in the middle of the sea. They, they should have reached their destination long, long ago. Now, here's what has never made sense to me, Brother Kagan. You watch these people, they, they row and they toil and they're living for God. They're determined to do right. And about halfway there, they say, you know what, I'm giving up, I'm going back. And you just want to say, you're just as close to your destination as you are to return to where you started. That would be a stupid idea. If it's four miles to your destination, four miles back to shore, you might as well go forward. 
I, I, I watched people give up, and it was just as much work quitting and going back as it was staying faithful and reaping the blessing. But there they are in the midst of the sea. And he sees them, and he, look what it says, cometh the fourth watch of the night. So it's 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Those boys are soaked. They're exhausted. They are tired. They are fearful. They're at the end of their emotional rope. Right? Naturally so. No, their condition doesn't shock us. What does surprise us a little bit is why didn't God intervene a little bit sooner? We've all asked that question. Why didn't God show up or intervene a little bit sooner? But the fourth watch, he's been watching the whole time. He sees them the whole time. He's been praying for them the whole time. But he's going to wait until 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning to do anything about it. So he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea. Now this, this is the phrase that's a shocker. Let's read it together, last phrase. And would have passed by them. Let, let's say it again. And would have passed by them. Now put yourself here in the middle of the story. So Christ knows they're worn out. They've already been, remember they were supposed to go rest and they, they, they get in the boat, but when they reach their destination, the people have already run ahead. They're meeting them. He, he has 20,000 people that he preaches to, he feeds, and the disciples are saying, just send them home, let them feed themselves, and let them take care of their own meal. It's late, we're tired, and they're thinking, okay, we're going to get a rest. And Christ says, go in the boat. They're thinking, okay, we, we reach the other side in a couple hours and we get a rest. Well, now it has been literally a couple days jam-packed with activities, physically, spiritually, emotionally exhausting. Now they've reached the wit's end. How many of you have ever heard of that? Not Adventures and Odyssey. We're talking about real life wit's end. And Christ is going to wake. So he shows up walking on the water in the middle of the storm. And the Bible says, would have walked right by them. His thoughts were, I'm going to walk close. I'm going to let them see me, but I'm just going to walk by. And let me ask you this. Why? Some of you are looking like Christ is cruel. Why would he do that? Why would he even bother walking on the water if he's not going to stop in, visit, and help them out? Go, go with me to Matthew chapter 14. A sister text here that gives us a little more information about what is taking place. He would have, he would have walked by them. Now, keep a finger in Matthew 14 and go with me to Luke 24. So you got a finger in Mark 6, Matthew 14, and go to Luke 24. Why would he have passed by them? Why did he wait and let them toil? The Bible says, they drew nigh unto the village where they went. And he, Christ, made as though he would have gone further. But what happened? They constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. 
in the days first spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Do you get it? Here's what Christ, Christ said, gentlemen. He wants an invitation. He's not going to barge you into your affairs or into your life. How many Christians have excluded Christ simply because he said, I'm going to walk here in the middle of this storm and walk by your boat, but if you don't cry out, I'll just keep on walking. Well, Pastor, I don't understand. You're in the middle of this, and it doesn't seem like Christ helped me. He didn't show up. God didn't do anything for me. He was there saying, I'm going to walk close enough for them to see me. Close enough for them to cry out and call out. Close enough for me to do a miracle. But I'd certainly like an invitation. I'd, I'd rather not be the intruder. I've, I've had people, well, Pastor, I had this happen and you, you didn't show up. Because last time I showed up, I was an intruder. So next time I want an invitation. You ever felt like that, preacher? And Christ said, last time I showed up, when times were good, I was just an intruder. So I thought, certainly, when your life was threatened, you would cry out for me to show up on the boat. So I walked by. Let's, let's see who cried out. Matthew 14 tells us specifically. Verse 24, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves. The wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's the Spirit. And they cried out for fear. Naturally so. If it's nighttime, okay, this isn't a movie set. This is real life. This is a dark place. And you see a figure walking, not like you're expecting anybody to be walking on the water. If it was glassy, calm, and smooth, you wouldn't expect anybody to be out there on the water. But you see a figure, naturally, they're going to think it's a ghost. It's a spirit. Naturally, they're going to cry out in fear. But straightway, Jesus spake to them, saying, I'll Be of good cheer. It's I. Be not afraid. Don't you like that? How many spirits enough to take those words? Be of good cheer. Get happy. You're not supposed to be worried. What are you fretting over? A little storm, a little water. So you've been rowing for hours and hours, not going anywhere. You need to be happy with your circumstance. How many of you ever sat there and you heard a preacher say that? And you think, he's not sick. He didn't have my sickness. He didn't have my financial problems. He didn't have my marriage. He didn't know what I'm going through. He's not in the middle of my circumstance. Be happy. You go be happy. Because I'm enjoying being miserable. I don't feel like being happy. My body hasn't been happy in a long, long time. Amen? But here's what he's saying. My presence here can fix this situation, so you should be of good cheer. Now, if Christ's involved in your situation, you ought to be of good cheer. If he's not involved, those words are not meant for you. No reason to be of good cheer. It's just bad news. But if Christ just showed up, you can be of good cheer. And Peter, now here's the reason. Christ's going to stick around. He would have passed by him, but someone cried out. How did we know it was going to be Peter? Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, if it be thou, bid me. Now, this is a pretty big if. 
There, there's a lot of, there are ifs in life that have kept us from taking the steps by faith, and there are ifs in life that have encouraged us to take the step of faith. Mm-hmm. You know the difference between fear and faith? What side of the if you fall on? <laughs> if, if you be Lord? Okay, this, this whole situation was iffy, right? We said, if you, if you be Lord, it's dark. He can't see things very clearly. He doesn't have a cell phone where he can pop the light on and take a good look at it. No one else is jumping out of the boat or offering to walk on the water. Now, hold on for a second. Remember what his disciples do. They follow him. I know, I've heard even Spurgeon, you hear so many differing opinions. Should he have walked on the water? Should he not have walked on the water? Get over yourself. Okay? He walked on water. Okay, if you've got a problem with that, you just got problems. The man walked on water. And you know what he did? He did what he was trained to do. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So if he's walking on water, I want to walk on water. Mm-hmm. Listen, some of you, some of you so stiff spiritually, you haven't taken a, a step out of a boat. And let, let me tell you something, because I've been on a boat. How, how many of you have ever been on a boat in a large body of water? How many of you ever been on a boat when there's a serious storm or serious swells? Okay, so here's, you, you know, movies or whatever's in your mind, Christians... I'm, I'm serious. One of my biggest problems with Christians is they don't think about Scripture. They just read it. Okay, if your boat is in the middle of a storm, you're not walking around or standing up in the boat. You're holding on for dear life so you don't go over. This was not a ship. As we think of ships, this is a boat, a smaller vessel that's being thrown around which means you're doing everything you can to stay inside. Peter didn't suddenly stand up. Hey, Lord, is that you? Hey, we've got some problems here. It was, hey, Lord. (laughs) Drenched. Trying to stay inside the boat. Now, if you you read the scripture, look, look at the scripture. You tell me how Peter walked on the water. How... How did he do this? Look what it says. So he said, Lord, bid me to come to the end of the water. And he said, come. Now, here's what I like about the Lord Jesus Christ. No details. Just direction. Not a, de- here's what I want in life when I pray. Lord, do you give me a few details about the next step? What's going to happen? And I had a dog for nine years. This is kind of the way I spoke to my dog. That, that was it. That's how simplistic it was. Just, okay, Lord, you want to explain to me how this water walking deal works out? How exactly we do this? He said, come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, now you tell me how he was come down out of the ship. When he was come down out of the ship, he walked. I'll tell you, okay, I've been on boats. I've been in swells. I've been in storms. I didn't want to be there. I know how to get to the edge of the boat because normally you have a stomach like mine. You're unloading everything you've eaten for the past 30 days and what you haven't eaten in the past 30 days. You've got to get to the side of the boat. 
So here's what you do when you're walking around. You do this. That's how you get. I've never been in high swells. Oh, let me see if I can get over here and unload at the side of the boat. You're hanging on for dear life, crawling, grabbing. Peter comes to the edge and says, Christ, if that's you, let me come. Come. He gets over the edge and sticks a foot out onto the water. And it's solid ground. He sticks it up now. You gotta remember, there's still waves. This isn't a placid sea. It's not like glass. Whatever you're imagining, that's not it. So when he stuck his foot into the water, there was nothing level there. It was just water, raging water. And he stuck another foot out. Say what was going through his mind. No idea. Madness, that's what goes through Peter's mind. But it must not have been much because whatever went through Peter's mind came out of his mouth. You know what I think he's thinking? Tricking. And, you know, all the mess, just everything we've heard. And he looks at the water and he begins to sink. And yeah, Yes! You're going to notice the storm because the storm is still raging. He didn't have a blindfold on. He didn't cover his eyes. He didn't suddenly, miraculously, spiritually float across the waves and the water to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a human. He noticed the circumstances. And in the midst of the circumstances, yes, he got his eyes off Jesus. Yes. Hold on for a second. I don't want to hear a word of criticism about Peter. Everyone else sitting on the boat, you say, well, their faith, I've heard people say, I've heard a whole message on uh, the faith of those that stayed in the boat was greater than Peter's who jumped out. Don't ever listen to a preacher that drinks before he goes to the platform. (laughs) Or does ganja. Whatever the case, the man had a problem. That, it takes incredible faith. And I know the Lord rebukes his faith and speaks of little faith. I don't care how you explain it. I would love to have that kind of faith. Because I would not be the one on the boat saying, hey, Lord, can I walk to you? And they're like, Lord, can you just climb on the boat and solve this problem? Now, Chris, let me ask you this. At some point in life, you need to do something spiritual for the very first time where you say, okay, I, I need to take a large step of faith. You need to do this at least a couple times in your spiritual life. I mean, some of you, 45, 50, 55 years old, what age, did you understand the older you get, the bigger small steps seem to be? Uh-huh. You watch a three-year-old crawl up these steps and run around the platform, no fear, and then you watch a 75-year-old Do you say you make making fun of 75-year-olds? No. 
Not all the time. <laughs> Challenges change. You know, you need, to, you need to take a big step of faith now. Stop waiting for the big moment, Amen. the perfect moment. And just say, I need, can you actually circle a time in your life when you actually took some kind of large step of faith? A spiritual. Oh, some of y'all messed up. You think, I bought that house and it was a leap of faith and I took a 40-year mortgage, Pastor. They offered me a 40-year mortgage. That's not a leap of faith. That's called an act of stupidity. Your grandkids are going to inherit a mortgage payment that you started. I'm not talking about that kind of leap of faith. I'm talking about a spiritual endeavor, witnessing to a friend that you've never witnessed to. Giving a special offering to a faith promise missions conference in a way that you've never given. Calling up Pastor Mark on a Saturday and saying, "Uh, can we go soul winning all Saturday? I'm not even talking about just getting out on the water. Some of you have been hugging the boat for a long time. You thank God for Peter. I don't have any words of criticism. And he, he walked in. And yes, he began to sink. Now, let me ask you this. What is sinking? In spiritual context, what is sinking? Sinking is simply fearing those things that you didn't fear before that you could do without fear. Let me ask you this. Is it uh, a, a secret to anybody in the boat that Peter was sinking? Isn't it amazing? I see Christians, the only one that doesn't know they're sinking are the ones that are sinking. You just want to say, you're sinking. <laughs> um, you are, uh, hey, you're about ready to breathe water. Not a real good, really safe thing to do. You're sinking. When you start fear, you know, some of you used to sow in, and now you're too fearful to sow in. Some of you used to tithe, you're too fearful to tithe. Mm. You, know, you know what's crazy? Some of you made 40000 a year, and, and you were fine tithing, and 40000 a year in Austin doesn't go very far. But now that you're making 150000 and have bonuses, you're, you're lying to yourself about what the tithe is. Mm-hmm. Shake your head right there. Say, Pastor, I thought you were going to tell us a story and not preach tonight. No, no. Occasionally you need preaching. Sinking means what you used to do by faith, but now fear doing? Something's changed. Your feet are going down. And and he cried to the, the white sea. He acknowledged that. And he cried out. And he said, Lord, save me. And Christ was right there. How many are thankful the times you were sinking, but God reached out? I've had a few of those moments in my life where you're supposed to be a pastor. I've had a few moments where I was sinking and cried, Lord, Lord, can you, can you reach out here? I think i got a problem. Now, look what it says. Go with me to John 6 for just a minute. There, there are a lot of miracles that take place here. Keep your, keep your finger here in Matthew 14. John 6, anytime you read in the Gospels a story, a parable, you got to go to the, the other Gospels and figure out what they are adding to that story, additional details. John 6, verse 21. 
Then they willingly received him into the ship. Smart choice. And look at this miracle. Immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. When he comes out there, they're four miles away from the shore. As soon as he steps foot into the ship, the wind ceases and they're on land. Tell me like that. Now, when you're going through a storm, trust me, the Lord Jesus Christ puts his feet in the ship. He can end a storm instantly and bring you from the middle of that problem to dry land. Have you ever had that happen? You thought this is never going to end? I've got months before I ever see the light of day. Who knows how I'm going to get through this struggle, this problem, this situation, this financial disaster. And one day you wake up and God says, I guess what, I got this taken care of. That's a blessing when God just hits fast forward. (laughs) How many like to be in a storm and just have God hit fast forward for you? I'm going to just take you to the end of this story. I think this is the part of the miracle that people have forgotten. It wasn't just that the storm was calm, that Peter walked on the water, but from one moment to the next, that boat went from the middle of the storm in the middle of the sea to the shoreline in the blink of an eye. Thank you, Lord. Now goes me to Matthew 14. What was the purpose of all of this? What was the purpose? Christ always has a lesson that he wants us to learn in the middle of the storm. Folks, one of the best things you could do in life, whatever you're going through, uh, is use your phone to actually write down lists. I have a list on my phone that is my thankful for list. And every time I start to get a sour spirit, want to fuss and gripe about something, I, I pull up that list and I just start to read it. It's people in the church, Attributes, capital city, things God allowed me to do, my kids serving God, Chris in Ecuador. There, there are literally dozens and dozens of things I'm extremely thankful for, and they're right there on the list. And I get about halfway through, and I say, you sorry, low down, griper. I don't make it all the way through the list very often. I just get partially through and, and a problem corrected. You ought, to, you ought to write down because your memory is as bad as mine when it comes to spiritual blessings. Mm-hmm. Matthew 14, look what it says in verse 33. Now, here's the purpose of all of this. And when, verse 32, they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased, Verse 33, then they that were in the ship came and what? Saying of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, now go back with me to Mark 6. Remember what we read this morning in our text, Mark 6, 52? Before they get on this boat, they considered not... The miracle of the loaves, for their what? Their heart was hardened. 
Now, you know what all these miracles are about? He came as a Messiah. He came as the Son of God. He told them this, and they followed him, but it's still not registered. So when he performs this miracle and feeds not just 5,000 men, but another 15 or 20,000 women and children, when he feeds this large group, it was to reveal himself as the Son of God. And what's the Bible tell us in John 6? Verse 13 and 14 says that the men that ate the food, that enjoyed the meal, said, this truly is the Son of God. Then registered with the disciples. So Christ said, okay, guys, you wouldn't really be in the middle of this storm had you simply finished the meal and said, this is truly the Son of God. But you're so worn out. You didn't even pass the test. So guess what? We get to retake the test. You could have learned it at, at the, the table eating fish and bread. You could have learned it as you watched that multiplied repeatedly. Each one of you had sixteen to 1,800 opportunities to see me multiply the fish and the bread. As you passed it out, and you missed it. So guess what we get to do? Take a second test. How many like retaking a test? You failed the first one, you got to redo it, and the teacher says, I'm going to add a little bit of additional information on this one, so you better study a little bit more. So Christ goes over to Brent and says, uh, Father, would you help these boys learn the lesson this time? You know what they do? When they get that boat to the other side and that storm's been calmed, what do all 12 of them do? They fall for the very first time in, in his ministry. Now that they're following him, they fall and they worship him. You know what he's doing? He's reinforcing. You're following the right person. Young people, you're following anybody but Lord Jesus Christ. You're following the wrong person. Said, even in the middle of that storm, you understand, I show, you're following the right person. Peter, you walked on the water trying to imitate the Lord. That's okay, you're following the right person. But that boat gets back to the shore and they fall down and they say, okay, this truly is the Son of God. His disciples, what do they do? They follow him. Knowing who he is. Why would we follow anyone else? In the story. We know who he is. We've got the book. We've got the entirety of the book. We've got the whole story. Uriah, I'm glad you've got a grandpa you can follow. Two grandpas you can follow. I, I'm glad you've got a daddy and a mom that you can follow. But at the end of the day, one of them might run to glory before you get there. One of them might make a mistake. One of them might falter. But at the end of the day, you're supposed to follow, follow him. The disciples follow him. Father, we pray this evening you help us. Just make a determination in life. I'm just going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. Yes, there'll be a storm or two. And yes, there's going to be some nights of toiling. And yes... It's not all going to be fun and pleasant. And yes, some water's going to get in my boat. I'm going to follow him.
I'm going to follow him. Young people, you better make the decision tonight before the storm ever hits that you're going to follow Christ.